Welcome to our Holden Village podcast. For over 50 years now, Holden Village has traveled a rich history of faith that has transformed a copper mining town into a vibrant place of education, programming, and worship. Holden has sought to welcome all who seek contemplation and community in the remote wilderness of the beautiful Cascade Mountains. We continue to invite people of all ages to come alongside our rhythms, which inspire and equip travelers for a sustainable life of faith outside the village. And we continue to listen and reflect on our story and history and seek to discover our place in God's creative mission in our world. Our podcasts are a way of sharing our conversations with our teaching faculty around reformation, the reforming of our relationships with the earth with each other, and with a divine. Let's tune in and join the conversation. Hi, my name is Anna Zarnick-Niemeyer. I'm here this week on teaching faculty at Holden Village. Outside of Holden Village, I am a social justice educator and a writer, and I've founded an organization called Bridge Builder Consulting to be the home or the vehicle for activism, education, consulting, and writing that I do in the outside world. So the subject of my teaching sessions uh, has been a combination of prophetic justice and uh, activism and academic work. The, the series is called Could the C World Be About to Turn? Social Justice Renegades Right Now and Coming Soon. I chose this combination of issues because of what I was seeing contextually happening in the world. I had actually <clears throat> compiled a couple of sessions way back when I applied to be on teaching faculty. And then um, we know that justice work is always, always contextualized. So before coming to Holden, I changed the series to reflect what was happening in our world. Uh, it's based around my favorite hymn, which is called the Canticle of the Turning, which is Mary's song that we often hear, but the reason why I like the, the song is because it features Mary as the prophet. She says, the wor could the world be about to turn? And the song is used in Lenten liturgies and also Advent liturgies in the church year because of its sort of future-focused method. And I like it because Mary is not only in this in this version receiving a baby or receiving the spirit of God, but she's an actor, she's an agent for telling what could be about to happen. So I I use that hymn to ground our sessions this week because I want to highlight in my work how uh, social justice movements, activism, academia can borrow from the technologies and I don't mean wires and, and screens, but the different methods that are used in worship and sacred settings and how churches and worship can borrow from the technologies that is the, the ways we do things or the, the strategies of social justice activism and academia. So those worlds, though academia and activism are often seen as secular and of course church and liturgy are, are seen as religious can be bridged by what I've been calling faithful justice or prophetic justice. And not everybody in those groups have to, you know, see each other all the time or get along all the time, but 
oppression that we see in our world and structures like white supremacy, homophobia, sexism are big and complicated. And so we want to use all the tools that we have at our fingertips, all the technologies that we have available to us to address them together. So uh, we, we started by focusing on being able to imagine or use analysis. One key skill that comes out of critical identity studies and women's and gender studies is this ability to think critically and to, I, I always say, put on glasses of critical analysis to be able to see the invisible structures that function in our world and to be able to diagnose what's happening to ourselves and our families and in our political system. Bell Hooks, who is a scholar and writer, a black feminist author of over 40 books, including five children's books, says in her book, Teaching to Transgress, that she came to theory because she was in pain. And imagining theory, that is being able to see patterns and structures in our world as a healing force, as Hook says, is a powerful way that we can find connection and healing in this time that feels so divisive. So sometimes when I when I enter a classroom or a teaching space, people sort of groan at the theory portion. But I had someone this week say, man, that didn't feel like a classroom at all, even though there was theory throughout. And the reason for that is in social justice movements, we can imagine theory as a healing force as almost like being detectives that are able to diagnose why has this happened and what can I do about it and who's written about it. So the other thing I want to say about building spaces like this, uh, sacred activist spaces or prophetic justice spaces, is that there are some key similarities in worship spaces and training spaces. So I came up through outdoor ministry and have been a part of lots of worship services and constructing worship services, but I also came up through social justice education and as a workshop facilitator. And what I've started to notice as I've done more work in both of these realms is that both in short social justice training sessions and also in church services, what we're doing is we're making space that's different or separate from the rest of the world. And that may be a physical space. So in churches, we often have a different physical space that's adorned with vestments. The the worship leaders wear different things. We have candles. And that's on purpose. And we also see those things showing up in both activism and social justice education, where there's beauty in murals and in signs, where they're just like in worship, there are common social justice or activist chants that we learn over time that I learned from my parents. And we can start to see how in both settings, in education, justice education settings and in worship settings, what we're trying to do is create a, a place apart, a sacred time for learning, for reflection, actually for really hard and vulnerable work. And as I've seen these similarities, I've wanted to say, okay, here are a couple of ways that we can take the best out of both of these settings for effective space making. And again, I don't necessarily mean a built physical space, but a sacred space. So this week when we were doing our sessions, I, I had three official sessions 
But I also wanted to imagine that learning could happen in a sacred space or a classroom space, reimagining the classroom outside of the sessions to accompany the sessions in the village this week. I thought it was important for people throughout the village to have multiple points of entry into this work that often feels overwhelming or again, with the theory could go above our heads. So I was facilitating sessions, but I ended up seeing a very different audience in the sessions versus the community building and space making areas. So I also hosted a queer LGBTQ, that is lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer lunch, an informal lunch where the people in the village who identify as LGBTQ could gather together and experience what we would call a queer normative space as opposed to what we would in the field call a heteronormative space. So what is it like for people who are on the margins, whose stories and voices are are typically held as outsiders to actually be centered, to come from what we would in women's and gender studies would call pull from margin to center. So to hold space at a table, an identity-specific space, that is for the people in the village who are LGBTQ, to have conversation, to laugh, discuss, and be physically visible, to physically take up space. The other community-building effort or intervention that we did this week, I called Liberation Living Room, and is based off of the fact that I I brought up a suitcase full of books that were written by women of color, people who are queer with disabilities, a lot of feminist theory, critical race theory, feminist theology, movement building. And that was another intervention, which is to say that, you know, Holden Village may not have the resources to purchase or upkeep in the bookstore a library or an archive of, of the activists and justice work that's happening on the outside and purchasing all of those. But it's possible to move those resources around for us to actually have mobile resources that all people can access. If we are doing social justice work together, there are some of us who are on a fast lane. If we think about a superhighway, some of us have had these works surrounding us or these ideas surrounding us since we've been young. Maybe we attended uh, protests or sit-ins or consciousness raising circles. But for many of us, we're not on that fast lane, that super highway. And we need, if you think about a highway, we need on ramps, multiple on ramps for people to be able to enter into the social justice conversation. So bringing books that people can come to at their, you know, time and pace or to simply see the covers that we might not usually be seeing is another intervention, a community intervention. And I want to give credit to uh, Alexis Pauline, Dr. Alexis Pauline Gums and Julia Shangador Wallace of Eternal Summer of the Black Feminist Mind, who have a project called Black Feminist Bookmobile, where they make mobile works from black feminists around, particularly in the South, in rural spaces, spaces where there may not be brick and mortar libraries, to think about how this work and the knowledge connected to it could be mobile. And if we think about traveling preachers, which may be less common nowadays, but imagining that we are bodies that can move around and our bodies hold knowledge and resources that can be shared and also need to be mobile. So can we compare the concept of traveling preachers to something like the Black Feminist Bookmobile, bringing resources, and I imagine social justice resources and writing as sacred texts, 
Because anytime we're opening our minds and engaging with one another, anytime we're generating, creating, or making, we're echoing the generativity that is the makerness, the creatorness of God. So aside from those community spaces, the goal of being in the teaching spaces this week was to radically shift what a learning space could and would look like. So we began by singing together, by gathering together through song as opposed to jumping in. We built community together to build trust because just like a worship space, a teaching space needs to have the trust to be able to carry or be a vehicle for vulnerable conversation just like worship does. And so we think about how worship or a liturgy is set up to be able to hold that complexity. What I like about liturgy and worship is that for me, it's calming to know what the kind of structure or skeleton of worship is going to be so that I can feel free and open within the context of those boundaries to let things happen in worship that are unexpected, to feel moved by a song, to rest into a sermon. How am I freed to let my mind or my heart wander because I have that structure? And the same is true in social justice learning settings. So we opened with with a song. I followed a model of experiential learning, which is where we share a concrete experience together, whether that was on the first session doing an activity called the Identity Grid, where we learned about the concept of intersectionality or how our multiple identities intersect to give us different experiences in the world. In the second session, we did a meditation. And then in the third session, our concrete experience together was to examine case studies of movements that are happening right now. So I had participants remember and imagine what movements have emerged just in the last two two to three years. And so the Me Too movement, Black Lives Matter, Water is Life, and uh, No Day Pal, Women's March, all of these different movements or titles for movements that have been happening in the la- or come about in the last three years and thinking about how they're connected and then imagining what are some of the common threads throughout these movements for how we can imagine world making. How can we imagine a future that as Afrofuturists like Octavia Butler would say or Adrian Marie Brown or others would would say any kind of social justice movement that we're doing is In essence, science fiction, we're building something that doesn't exist yet. And I want to draw connections back to that hymn, the Canticle of the Turning, that in Jesus's time, the idea that something new could come about, a new world order, that something like a resurrection could happen was completely like science fiction. It was a new world order that hadn't been thought up yet, maybe had been prophesied, but it was something that was surprising and table-turning. The world was about to turn. And drawing strength from that knowledge and imagining how that could provide us strength for the journey today to imagine a new world. And I want to close by saying that all of this work is happening simultaneously in church and worship spaces, but also in academic spaces. National Women's Studies Association, which has been around for decades, this coming year is meeting in Atlanta in November, and the theme is Imagining a Feminist Future. 
that includes new ways of imagining universities, that includes Afrofuturism, again, borrowing from and imagining what the world could look like without colonialism. What would the world have looked like if we didn't have slavery? Also imagining how our relationship to gender could be flipped or reimagined. And finally, thinking about our, our built spaces, our environment, and how we interact and relate with those differently. So what I want to drive home in the course of, of all of this work is that we can continually borrow from different areas, and that's what makes an interdisciplinary study like women's and gender studies or critical identity studies exciting, is that we can borrow from multiple sources to say, here's how we can imagine learning differently or worship differently. Can we use something like a litany from worship, which is repeating back and forth, to help us make a pledge to each other, a covenant in that time about what, what our learning time will look like? Could we use technology like Lectio Divina or Visio Divina to help us examine what protest signs look like and what they could mean to us, what manifestos or hashtags that come about? And so what I would say to those who are listening is to start to draw connections between if you are populate any kind of sacred space, how could you draw from what you've learned in your sacred space or your meditation space or your practice in nature? How can you pull from those resources into activist and academic spaces? And then also having populated academic and activist spaces myself, my challenge in those spaces is to not dissociate them from sacred spaces, even though there's been a, a history of abuse or oppression within religious spaces, particularly with marginalized groups. Can we still have a broad enough imagination to think that activist and academic spaces could borrow from some of the best of sacred spaces to bring that into activists and academic spaces so that we can come up with a super movement that uses all of the resources available to us. And that's when I think we could come together and, hey, the world could be about to turn. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for another Holden Village podcast. Be sure to view the links in the description for more information or visit our website to find out more about the village. We hope you will make a pilgrimage to Holden. Blessings and peace to you.